0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. And Lord, we acknowledge that we can do nothing apart from you. Lord, we are nothing apart from you. Lord, it is in you in whom we have our very life and our very being. And so God, we thank you for giving us the gift of life, Lord, for placing us where you have placed us in this time, that you have allowed us to, to be the, the church in this place. God, we, uh, we just acknowledge that it is you who has called us to this place. It is you who has uh, put us here to, to be the church in this time. And so, Lord, as we understand what it means to be the church Lord, would you just fill us with your spirit? Lord, that provides us with wisdom and understanding and knowledge, Lord, and even power. Would you show up in our midst by the power of your spirit and do things that are beyond what we ever thought was possible? God, would you show us once again what you are capable of doing through your power, Lord, when we get out of the way? Simply allow you to move. And so God, would you move amongst us during this time? Would you speak to us through your word today? That it would not be my words, but it would be your words to your people. And so God, we just thank you and we praise you in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, we are uh, now in our final month of talking about how we live out our mission as Armstrong United Methodist Church, and we've been doing that for the the last several months, and I hope we're all kind of getting a hang of what our mission is, uh, as Armstrong United Methodist Church, which is to connect people with who? Say it if you know it. Jesus. Uh, Our mission is to connect people uh, with Jesus. Um, And at Armstrong, um, we connect with Jesus in four ways, uh, by worshiping God together, by growing in our love for God and others, by serving our church, our community, and our world, and by going forth to connect other people with Jesus as well. So we've been spending a a month on each of those four areas that we connect with Jesus, and we're taking this final month uh, to talk about how we connect with Jesus through going forth to tell others about Jesus in our daily lives. Um, And instead of giving you all a a crash course on how to tell your friends about Jesus uh, or teaching you uh, how to make arguments for the validity of the Christian faith, we're instead taking several weeks to simply answer a question. Whose power do we place our trust in as a church in order to connect new people to Jesus? I wish that I could answer that question confidently, but when I look around at how things are being done in the American church as a whole, I'm really not sure, because we might claim that we rely on Jesus as the source of our power, but when it gets down to it, ministry in the 21st century seems more like a contest of which church can have the coolest worship services, the slickest programs, in the most people, and when it comes to how churches aim to achieve those things, uh, they seem to rely on human power instead of the power of Jesus. You know, don't get me wrong; I'm I'm not saying that churches aren't preaching the gospel or even doing good ministry. But it seems to me that when it comes to the power we rely upon to reach new people for Jesus, we're largely relying upon our own power. So my question for us today is, what do you expect? In other words, what are our expectations of what God can and will do in our midst when we submit our efforts to Jesus in faith? Now, as I was mulling over that question this week, I was reminded of an experience I had just a few weeks ago on my 30th birthday. Uh, We were planning to head up to Peoria for the weekend to uh, celebrate with family, but before we headed up to Peoria, we decided that it was time to switch our oldest son's Toddler mattress out with a twin mattress, and so I was in kind of the process of taking apart his bed and reconstructing it and all that. And so we brought the vacuum uh, into uh, the room to kind of sweep up. You know, when you move furniture, things get uh, you know kind of you discover dirt that you didn't realize was there. And so we bring in the vacuum, and I we we go to take the hose off the vacuum, and it just like falls off like just done. So we had had this vacuum since we got married. And I, I mean, the the plastic piece that held the hose of the vacuum fell off. It was broken. All right. So I'm like, great. Vacuum's toast. Can't vacuum the room. And so the whole rest of the morning, it was just a mess. You know, we were looking for vacuums. Our our sweet neighbor lady, she loaned us this vacuum that used water. Has it, does anybody have a vacuum that you have to fill it up with water? Is it? No, but you do. Okay. I had never experienced one of those before in my life. I was like, what do I do with a vacuum that you have to put water in? And so I couldn't get that to work. So then I called my other friend and was like, can I use your vacuum? It's just, a, it was an absolute stressful mess that morning. And it was, you know, it was, it's my birthday. And I'm like, oh, well, great. You know, my vacuum breaks on my 30th birthday. Happy birthday to me. Man, 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 man. I guess this is what it's like to be an adult now. Um, you know, <laughs> since I was 15 and all going on, but anyway, um, it's, that's what Phyllis says. She, 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 no, 14, right? Four, 14 years old. Four, 14 years old, everybody. Look at me. All right. Um, but anyway, uh, so, so, I was, <laughs> uh, so I was, you know, so I'm just all frustrated, you know, because it's, it's like, it's a, it's a long morning. Uh, and so, you know, I tell Jess, I'm like, all right, you know what? We're, so we were supposed to go out to dinner with my parents that night. I was like, you know what? We'll just buy a new vacuum after dinner. We'll go vacuum shopping. I'm like, well, isn't that about appropriate for my thirtieth birthday? Going vacuum shopping, you know, at Kohl's. So, you know, so like the, my picture of the night, and I was okay with this, right? You know, like I kind of made peace with the fact that my birthday was going to consist of you know dinner with my parents and then vacuum sweeper shopping at Kohl's. Um, pretty pretty great thirtieth birthday. Um, and uh, so my uh, we we get to the place where we were supposed to have dinner. And unbeknownst to me, my wife had planned this huge surprise party for me. I mean, like old friends, all of our family, you know, everybody who had just come together to make this amazing surprise party, and I didn't have the slightest clue. I mean, not even the slightest clue. You know, my mind was was in that place. You know, we're dinner with parents, vacuum sweeper shopping. And so like we walk into the place and she leads me around this corner away from the dining area. I'm like, where are we going? And then we walk into this party room and there's like 30 people waiting to surprise me for my birthday. And I was just absolutely gobsmacked. I had no idea. I mean, it was the best surprise party I think anyone's ever pulled off because I didn't even have an inkling of a clue that we were going to have that. And so that experience, right, where my mind was just in this place, right, it got, it got me thinking, do we do a similar thing when it comes to our expectation of God? You know, in other words, when it comes to our faith that God would move in power and do great things in our midst, are our expectations of God so low that if God were to show up in a powerful way, would it catch us completely off guard like me at that surprise party, right? So, so my mind was in one place expecting one thing and a completely different thing and I And I think that's kind of where we're at with God a lot of the time. We just kind of get used to life the way it is and we don't expect God to do powerful things. And if God were to do a powerful thing, Would it be completely foreign to us because that's where our expectations are at? So our passage for this morning deals with expectations. Um, And we find Jesus instructing his disciples on what to expect. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to John chapter uh, 14. And uh, we're just going to walk through part of this passage Uh, this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up. If you don't, you got Bibles in front of you, um, and uh, you can also use electronic advice. If you do that, make sure to check in on Facebook and let people know you're here. It's a great way to let people know where you worship and invite them to join us here at Armstrong. So uh, this passage from John 14 is part of what has come to be known as Jesus' upper room discourse, which took place on the night that Jesus shared his last supper with the disciples before being arrested and going to the cross. And in this passage, uh, we find Jesus' parting words to his disciples. Now at this point, Jesus had made it very clear uh, that he would be leaving his disciples soon. Um, And and they were understandably distraught, right? Their their leader uh, had just told them that he would no longer be with them and they had devoted the last three and a half years of their lives to following his every step. And so they're very upset. And as Jesus and his disciples share their last meal together, uh, Jesus shares not only words of comfort and encouragement with his distraught disciples, uh, but he also shares words of promise. Uh, now, many of us have likely heard the words at the beginning of this passage uh, where Jesus asserts that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? There, is, there is only one way to the Father, and it is through Jesus. Amen? That's, that's what we believe as, as Christians, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, but then Jesus tells his disciples uh, what his relationship with God the Father means for them. Uh, in verses 9 through 14. And in these five verses, I believe Jesus teaches us three lessons about how we as the church can experience the presence and power of God in our midst today. Um, So let's go ahead and and jump in. Uh, The first thing Jesus teaches us is that we must rely upon the Holy Spirit. So in in verse 8, Philip makes a bold request of Jesus uh, because Jesus tells them that, that he is leaving them um, and that, uh, that he is going to the Father, right? Um, and so uh, Jesus, he says, uh, he says, or I'm sorry, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus says in verses 9 and 10, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So Jesus can say that he is the only way to the Father because he reveals the Father's very character. How? Because the Father lives in Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about the fact that Jesus was the most Spirit-filled person to ever walk the face of this planet. God in human flesh. And here Jesus is saying that the Father dwells so fully in Him that to see Him is to see the Father. And this doesn't mean that, that Jesus and the Father are one and the same, but rather that Jesus shared such a deep and intimate relationship with his Father in heaven that he could say that he and the Father are one. Colossians 1.19 says, for in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And Jesus continues in verse 11. He says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So Romans 8, 11 says, The Spirit of God, or I'm, I'm sorry, Jesus is making an appeal to his disciples that they should believe that Jesus is who he says he is, not just because he said it, uh, but because, also because of the works that Jesus did. So throughout Jesus' life and ministry, we see Jesus doing miraculous works. Right, Blind eyes are given sight, Deaf ears are made to hear, and the dead are raised. And here Jesus is saying that the power behind all of those things is the Father dwelling in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus is about to share with his disciples, they will also receive that power for themselves. And now we'll we'll get to that Romans 8.11 quote, which says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Just think about that for a minute. When you invite Jesus to come into your heart and be both your Savior and the Lord over your life, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And apart from that power, we can do nothing, at least nothing of eternal significance. But when we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God will begin to, to work in and through us in ways that we never realized were possible. Which leads us to the, the second lesson that Jesus teaches us, which is that we must raise our expectations of what God is capable of doing. Verse 12, Jesus says, "'Very truly I tell you, "'whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing.'" And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So do you believe that we today are capable of doing even greater things than Jesus did in his ministry? You know, when you think about all the amazing and miraculous things that Jesus did in his life and ministry, do you really believe that God wants to do even greater works through us. The early church believed that. uh, And as we'll see next week, God did show up and do amazing and supernatural things in their midst. Because Jesus was present with them through the power of the Holy Spirit. We read in Acts that the sick were healed, the dead were raised, and spiritual forces of darkness were defeated in Jesus's name. That all unfolds in the early church. And, and they believed that Jesus wanted to work in these ways. And in response to their faith, Jesus did. He did amazing things. And, and here's what the early church understood that, that we need to understand for ourselves today. Is that Jesus did not die on a cross and rise to new life so that we could live relatively harmless moral lives. I'm going to say that again. Jesus didn't die on a cross and rise to new life so that you and I could live relatively harmless moral lives. Again, if God has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I want to share a story about what God is capable of doing this morning. It comes from uh, Roger Ross, who's a fellow United Methodist pastor and the Director of Congregational Development in the Missouri Annual Conference. He writes this. He says, God recently rattled my soul. In late September at the New Room Conference in Nashville, I attended a pre-conference session on the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit. Our seminar leader, Jack Deer, offered a brief teaching and invited us to try our hand at healing. We spent some time in silent prayer asking the Lord to reveal to us any illness or pain in the room. Less than two minutes later, he asked those who had never done anything like this to raise their hands and share what the Lord had revealed. Immediately, a man raised his hand and said he felt a pain in his neck. Jack said, "'Is there anyone here who's dealing with a pain in their neck? If so, would you stand?' And everyone stood because everyone's dealing with pains in the neck. I'm just kidding. Um, No, a a dozen or so people around the room stood and the rest of us were invited to go to someone uh, standing near us and pray for their healing. We stood or we soon tried another round. After silent prayer, we were asked to share what the Lord revealed a pastor friend from, of mine from Illinois, Jason Wooliver, now Jason is also the uh, pastor at my home church at uh, Crossroads United Methodist Church in Washington. He raised his hand and he said, I think I heard God saying a woman named Penny has a pain in her shoulder. And he touched his left shoulder as he spoke. And Jack quickly replied, I need to say that Receiving someone's name is usually reserved for people who are more experienced and mature in hearing God's voice. It's not something beginners often have success with, but let's give it a try. Is there someone here named Penny who has a pain in her shoulder? We held our collective breath, and then crickets. Jack asked, is this your first time doing this? And Jason said, yeah, and probably my last. (laughs) And Jack smiled and said, well, let's try it again. Is there anyone here named Penny who has a pain in their shoulder? After a long pause, a woman stepped forward from the back of the room. My name is Penny, and I have a pain in my shoulder. An audible gasp rippled through the room. Jack asked, is it your left shoulder? She reached up and touched her shoulder just as Jason had. Yes, it's my left shoulder. People around her were invited to go and pray for her. Jason came from across the room to join them. That was late Wednesday morning. On Friday afternoon, we were pulling out of the parking lot to head home when a friend in our car received a text with this social media post. God spoke my name to a pastor during Jack Deere's pre-conference gathering, and I was healed from a shoulder issue i have been having for years. He knows my name. Praise God. Penny. Roger writes, here's what rattled me. Is it possible the Holy Spirit is far more accessible than we think? Penny's story makes me wonder if we have been working too hard to make stuff happen by our own effort. If we were willing to look foolish and get out of the way, what might God do? I don't really know, but that's an adventure I'd like to take. God knows Your name. God knows your name. And He wants to perform signs and wonders to prove that, both to you and the people around you. But we have to expect the supernatural in order to experience it. We need to raise our expectations of what God is capable of doing. Which leads us to our third and final lesson that we can learn from Jesus' words in this passage, which is that we must believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. Verses 13 and 14, if you want to flip back there in your Bibles with me. Jesus says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, this is a, a powerful promise from Jesus. Not just to his disciples, but to us today as well. You know, in verse 12, Jesus says that whoever believes in him will do the works that he has been doing. That wasn't just for his disciples. That was for us. That was a, a general statement. Whoever believes believes in him, will do the works he has been doing. And now in verse 13, Jesus says that he will do whatever we ask in his name. Now, I don't want us to misunderstand Jesus. You know, Jesus is not saying um, that we can pray for whatever foolish desire we want and pray it in Jesus' name and it'll be done, right? We can't tack on Jesus' name uh, to the end of whatever prayer we want, Um, and assume that Jesus is going to bless that. So that means, you know, I can't pray, uh, Jesus, please give me a new truck in Jesus' name, and it'll be done, right? Um, I wish it worked like that, but it doesn't. Um, Okay, so uh, when we ask for things um, in keeping with Jesus' character and Jesus' concerns in his name, they will be done. They will be done. I want you to think about This promise from Jesus, like someone leaving a trust to you. And when a person leaves a trust, they can make stipulations about how it is to be used that's in keeping with the person's values and character. I know several of you in this congregation have trusts, and so you know what I'm talking about. You can make stipulations on how that trust is to be dispersed that are in keeping with your values and character and how it's to be used. And the same is true of Jesus's promise, right? When a person is, is seeking God's will and God's kingdom and is, when they are acting as Jesus's representative who is about Jesus's business and they're acting in the, the power of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in them, Jesus will hear and answer their prayers in mighty and powerful ways. And that's why it saddens me that we often resort to using the name of Jesus as more or less kind of a formality at the end of our prayers. And you know, we pray things like, well, let me correct that. I pray things like, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this Taco Bell and pray that you would somehow bless these burritos to my body in Jesus' name. Amen. Right? Um, but that's a, that's a misuse of the name of Jesus. Um, and Jesus has been convicting me of that more and more, that we cannot take His name lightly in prayer. We can't. We can't afford to take His name lightly in prayer. I mean, do we really think that, that Jesus is in the business of blessing burritos? you know? Or are we willing to believe that there is truly, actually, really, power in the name of Jesus? that when we pray? for miraculous things that happen in Jesus' name, that they will be done according to His power and His purposes. And what these words from Jesus teach us is that we need to think before we flippantly invoke the name of Jesus in prayer. Because there is power in the name of Jesus, and we, when we claim that power in prayer, Jesus can and will show up and do impossible things in our midst. And he will do it in order that God may be glorified. And we're going to look at some ways that Jesus did show up in people's midst and do just that next week. But for this week, my question for you is, again, what do you expect? You know, do you expect God to show up in our midst and move in power like he has so many times in the past and still continues to do today Or are we content with our lives as we know them? Because when it comes to our expectations of God, God usually gives us the deepest desire of our hearts. Okay, so that means if our desire is to simply live a normal life in which a hunger for the presence and power of God is replaced by a hunger for the pleasures of this world, God will give us that kind of life. He'll give us what we want but he will not remove uh, he he will not move in remarkable ways. We will not see lives transformed by the power of the gospel, and the church will just be an empty shell of an institution devoid of God's presence and power. You know, sure we'll hear the occasional story of God's work in a person's life and celebrate possibly small victories, but the world will remain largely unchanged and unmoved by the church. And it's not because God isn't able to do great things apart from us. God can do whatever God wants. However, it's always been God's deepest desire to partner with us to achieve his purposes in the world. How humbling is that? God wants to partner with you to achieve his purposes in the world. But in order for God to do that, we have to be willing vessels. And being a willing vessel starts with having the expectation that God can and will do great things through you. So let me ask you this morning, church, do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to do great things through you? Do you believe that God wants to use you to allow others to experience the healing and liberating and freeing power of the gospel? I'll be the first to confess that I sometimes lose sight of that truth. You know, instead of expecting God to do great things through me, I begin to believe the lie that I am unusable. That God couldn't possibly use the likes of me to accomplish great things for His glory. But to disbelieve God in that way is to sin against Him. So let's repent together this morning and pray, I believe, God, help my unbelief. I believe that you are capable of doing these things. I believe that you want to to use me as a willing vessel to do great things in the name of Jesus. I believe that you want to move in power in our midst. I believe. That's really the first step, is just opening your mind to the possibility. Instead of my close-minded 30-year-old vacuum-shopping self, right? To open your mind to the possibility that God could move in miraculous ways like he has moved in miraculous ways all throughout the course of human history. What makes us think that it would change just because it's 2019? What makes us think that God would stop doing stuff like that just because it's 2019? Brothers and sisters, God wants to move in our midst today. And I believe that seeking the power of God in our midst begins in prayer. And so I'd like you to just pencil this in on your calendars. Uh, Next Sunday at 5 p.m., I just want us to get together. Whoever can do it during that time. If, If you're here this morning and you're like, okay, I'm picking up what you're putting down, I'm smelling what you're stepping in. Um, you know, Would you just put that on your calendar? Next Sunday, 5 p.m., let's meet at the church and let's, let's just pray together. Let's just start praying for God to show up and move in our midst in powerful ways, for hearts and lives to be transformed by the power of the gospel, both here and the people who have yet to come here. For, for God to begin to, to work in our hearts and move in our midst in ways that we're not used to seeing, in ways that might make us uncomfortable. Because every time that the church has experienced revival in the past is when God does just that, when he shows up in power in ways that surprise us in ways that unsettle us. Just like that that author of the the post I read this morning was unsettled by that experience that was so foreign to him. Now, this is a guy who had been serving his entire life in the ministry in the United Methodist Church. And and it seemed to me through his post that that was one of the first times he has witnessed something like that. Um, And to be quite honest, uh, I, I haven't witnessed much of that myself, but I can tell you, God is opening my heart and mind and saying, I I want you to experience these things. I want you to to expect these things. I want you to desire these things. And so if you desire those things as well, and if, if you want to raise your expectations of what God is capable of doing, meet me here next Sunday at 5 p.m. Please put it in your calendars. I'd love to see you guys here. But this morning, let's just simply begin by repenting of our low expectations of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we confess that often we grow complacent in our expectation of what you are capable of doing. Lord, and we also doubt that you could possibly use the likes of us to move in power and to use us to, to do great things in the name of Jesus. And so God, Would you just forgive us for those times that we doubt your ability to move in power? And would you begin to surprise us, Lord, as we repent of those low expectations and receive the grace of Jesus? Lord, as we're reminded that we are your children, Lord, that you have called us to this time, to this place, to be salt and light to a broken and hurting world. Lord, would you begin to put us back together that we might experience healing for ourselves, that we might experience your power in a way that puts a testimony on our lips, that lights a fire in our hearts, that it's all we can do but contain it, God. And and so I I just pray that as that begins in our midst, Lord, that, that you would begin to send us out to share that story. Lord, to share that testimony with other people that they may also come to know that power of Jesus for themselves. And so, Lord, we are praying and waiting expectantly. We are repenting of our low expectations, and we are beginning to expect you to do great things in our midst. Lord, we're not sure what it'll look like. We don't know exactly what the future holds, but God, we are willing to find out. We're along for the ride. And so, Lord, uh, we just pray now, Lord, that as, as we go from this place, Lord, that that you would just place this message of conviction upon our hearts, that we wouldn't be able to quit thinking about it, Lord, that that we would begin to to desire to see it. And as we desire to see it, Lord, that we would just respond in prayer. And so we pray all these things in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.